0: Thank you. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Decrypt. I'm really excited for this episode as we're continuing our series of thinking around AI. And today we're asking the question, what is going on with AI today and where is it going tomorrow? I'm also delighted to be joined by a frequent flyer on our podcast now, Steve Sachs from our Washington DC office. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Hey, Nick, it's great to be back. And with us for the first time, but certainly not the last time, is Jeremy Stimson. Jeremy is the head of our data strategy group at Control Risks. He's got multiple decades of experience working with emerging technologies as part of both government roles and private sector organizations. And he is our leading expert in all things related to the implementation of artificial intelligence in our organization, as well as some of our clients' organizations. Jeremy, it's really great to have you on the podcast.
1: Hey Nick, good to be here.
0: Fantastic, guys. Well, look, we we're not going to be talking about this for three hours, despite the fact that we probably could. But I really wanted to bring both of you here because we are now seven or eight months uh, since the public release of ChatGPT. Uh, we are seven of a or in or seven or eight months, sorry, since the increased hype around artificial intelligence. We are seeing terms being thrown around. We are talking about generalized AI in some circles. We are talking about large language models. We are talking about the commercial and the, private, the, the public implementation of these algorithms. But we also talk about risks a lot. And in a previous podcast series with Michelle Weiner, we talked about some of the real challenges of being an early adopter in AI, the need to have the right data structures, the need to have the right knowledge of your own organization. Um, and today, what I really want to do is sort of talk about the state of technology. What we are doing at Control Risks right now is we are coalescing our thinking, whether that's in the geopolitical space. And, and one of our sister podcasts, uh, The Global Insight, is releasing an episode dedicated to the geopolitics of AI and the regulatory space around artificial intelligence. And we're also launching a white paper that will gather all of our expertise around the field of artificial artificial intelligence for our clients. And a lot of this is drawn from both our work internally, Jeremy, that you've been incredibly instrumental in delivering, but also the work that people like Steve have been doing with our clients and understanding the threats and risks associated with it. For today's podcast, I really want to get nerdy. I want to dive into some of the technicalities behind this. We are going to try and explain as much of this as we can. And by we, I really mean Jeremy will try and explain as much as he can uh, around this. But we really want to sort of clear the decks to see where the technology is heading and how companies need to be thinking about the future of artificial intelligence. So with this intro, what I want to ask, and maybe to start with you, Jeremy, is where do you think we are today? When you've looked at the six months, seven months of development and the discourse around the plethora of applications that are starting to be launched, what's your current take on the state of the field?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's um it's really it's really interesting, and, and today I mean it's changing so fast that today kind of depends when people are listening to this as well because um, you know, conversations we were having in in January in February are, are now kind of uh, we've moved dramatically further from from that uh, from that point. So, so I guess um I guess there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of interest. There's you know there's obviously kind of huge huge. Um, levels of, of conversation around all of this uh, all of this stuff some of it isn't as new as people as people think so the the c- concepts around llms have been around for you know for a, for a good while there was work done in the sort of late 90s around Lstm models and different styles of transformer that, that are basically building on the same the same uh, the same concepts but what we think of as LLMs today kind of came around from about a paper in about 2017 called "Attention is All You Need," um, and that was um, constructing a style of, of AI around a, an encoder-decoder model. So it was a, it was a way of of, um, of chaining these capabilities together so that it's very good at processing sequential sequential data. Text is a very good example, of very high volumes of sequential um, data. So where where we are today? We've we've gone through a number of a number of iterations of training and, and developments of that fundamental architecture. The size of the models has exploded. Uh, we're looking at con- concepts now where you know, the, some of the challenges we have at the moment is just the amount of, of compute and, and data that we need to you know we need to get into to uh, to train these um, train these things. I think where we are today is we've got models that give really good uh, appearance of intelligence, and sometimes you then hit the really fundamental problems in you know, when Once you dig into the into the details, and, and if you need sort of examples of that, you can try asking GPT a, a sort of a basic math question. So so what we're what we're starting to see now, I think, is is those those gaps starting to you know starting to emerge, but equally they're being plugged very quickly. So so on the math example, Wolfram has just uh, has just. Um, really a, a plug-in for GPT that works exceptionally well it, it plugs that uh, that kind of gap really really very effectively so so we've got these these sort of fun foundational models that have um, that have built up I think what we're starting to see now is is a lot more uh, developed thinking about how we apply that to different different domains I think we're kind of going from a you know from a from a playground type environment of I have a web page and I can talk to something and it looks a bit like a human to something where we're, we're now looking at well what does this mean for for finance for software Engineering for you know, healthcare, for you know, drug research, for whatever it, whatever it may be. So that that's kind of where I see the next step.
0: It's interesting. You've mentioned a couple of things I, w- I want to pick up on. I mean, the 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 notion of the the next generation of Turing testing, which which for for those of you in the audience that may not be aware, the Turing test was was posited by Alan Turing as as a way to, to to really question whether or not a machine could fool a human being into thinking it was a human being. The the founder of DeepMind is is on the verge of releasing a book that will uh, really. Push the question of is the Turing test even remotely applicable today? And, and I think the example that was given is if really to test intelligence, what we need to do is, for instance, give a hundred thousand dollars to an AI and say, go and make a million dollars from this and, and really look with very little instructions and very little, um, support from any or intervention from any human to, to, to get that going. So I think this is a a really important point in the way we're thinking about this. And another paper that I, that I'm thinking about is when, when GPT four was, was being uh, released and, and tested publicly, or at least discussed publicly, um, uh, researchers at Microsoft published a, a, a piece called Sparks of, of Generalized Artificial Intelligence, and and asked the question, you know, is GPT-4 AGI? Is it actually uh, fully generalized AI? I think we could, and we probably would all have different point of views. I kind of want to ask the question, and maybe to you, Steve, on this one. What, so what? How does this actually matter when we talk about this from both an opportunity perspective for a lot of organizations, but also from a risk management perspective where threat actors are, are playing in this field just as much as, as we might be playing in this field?
2: Absolutely. And I think where we start making distinctions between artificial general intelligence and generative artificial intelligence, I know the acronyms can get confusing of AGI and, and GAI, but artificial general intelligence is, I think, what Hollywood would, would want us to consider AI, right? You're thinking Terminator, right? You're thinking
0: iRobot. Or how going a little bit further back. Exactly, exactly.
2: And, and when we think about generative AI, we're talking chat GPT, uh, we're talking Bard, we're talking Bing AI. And so the differences there are oftentimes stark, but more often than not under the hood. And so that comes down to an education piece of understanding this, what, what Jeremy's talking about perception of general intelligence versus actual general artificial intelligence. And so when it comes to both opportunities and risks, we see our clients and companies writ large, not struggling because struggling makes it seem like you know someone has all the answers, but working with the globe writ large as these capabilities are being developed and they evolve to understand what are the true capabilities of these platforms. And so I'm actually, I'm a big fan of this, this book that came out December of last year called Power and Prediction, where the authors kind of break down three different ways that AI can be incorporated into business. And they break it down into kind of point solutions, application solutions, and system solutions. And so I think as if we use those as, as a benchmark or a map, a roadmap of progression, I think right now we're at the point solution stage and the application solution stage where AI is being used to accomplish specific tasks. And so, one of the examples is AI is being used in the financial industry to identify fraudulent transactions, right? That is a specific task that AI is oftentimes uniquely capable of doing a little bit faster, maybe a little bit more accurately. Or you look at application solutions, ChatGPT being one of them, where it can accomplish a number of tasks using the same type of platform. But where I think we have not quite breached the the next step in the, is in the systems solution aspect where we have artificial intelligence being applied more holistically to organizations and i think that also applies on the threat actor side as well where we've seen threat actors leverage artificial uh, generative artificial intelligence in this kind of point solution and application solution mindset so a point solution example might be leveraging deep fakes to enhance spear phishing. Right, the mechanism of deployment, the mechanism of delivery of this attack is still fairly conventional, still fairly traditional. These are coming over email, they're coming over phone calls or video calls, but they're enhanced by AI via a specific task. On the application side again, we see ChatGPT in its early days was being used by nefarious actors to code malware, right? So it's it's still it's leveraging a new capability but still designing something that has traditionally been a vector of attack for threat actors. But what I don't think we've seen yet is the systems application of AI to kind of rewrite the threat actor ecosystem in the cyber domain.
0: It's interesting you've mentioned application, and I just want to go back to your point on acronyms because I... I, I, I think this is one of the greatest sources of confusions when we talk to organizations and clients. And even when you talk to people that are experts in the field, there is no common terminology and definition. I mean, you can go back to the fact that there is no definition of intelligence today that's commonly accepted by everybody as universal. But, you know, we talk about GAI, we talk about AGI, some people talk about super artificial intelligence. We, we hear all these terms and I think your definition is right. There is something around the generative aspects and then there's something about the generalized aspect, which really looks at the sort of Terminator, Skynet, HAL, the Matrix, whatever you want to think about. And, you know, we, we will touch on whether or not that one of your predictions is that this could be a reality because I think it's a question that does continue to pop up in a lot of our client discussions. But I want to go back on your mention of applications. I don't know if you guys saw, but OpenAI recently announced I was thinking about developing an app store, which would allow smaller companies that do not necessarily have the capacity to build these large language models or to have the data to train these large language models. And I want to get on the data requirements because that's changed very quickly. But Jeremy, what's your take on this notion of sort of, we're creating a new ecosystem with almost LLMs as a service kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, and, and I think I was going to ask Steve about this as well, actually, because I think there's, there's two sides to this. There's like, there's the, there's the nice people and then, and then there's everyone else. Um, so, so there's, um, there's definitely, I mean, there's, you just have to look at the amount of noise in the, you know, well, everywhere, actually, you, you'd be forgiven for like thinking there's nothing but chat GPT in my, my entire newsfeed for everything I look at. Um, but there's, there's, Clearly, massive demand, and uh, I think almost a, a sort of an unmeasurable number of potential applications for this, and, and people coming out with you know with um, with the, these sort of these plug-in, these apps, these applications of this content to literally every domain. I've got like two two daughters in creative industries; they're looking at how they can apply it to to video game design and and uh, environment design and marketing and all, all sorts of everything. So, so I think there's there's an almost limitless number of, of potential applications of this 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 capability. One one of the things that I was I was going to ask and, and I think is, is sort of something I'm keen to know a bit more about is there is a there is another side to this kind of democratizing this this level of capability. So, in on one level, we've taken very very powerful models, very very capable um, capable technology, and we're using it for you know for uh, for positive societal benefit and uh, and the good of the the good of mankind. Um, there is another side where you could argue we're taking what was previously nation state type level capabilities to produce crafted malware targeting particular exploits. And we're giving it to people who we previously classified as script kiddies sat there doing things in the bedroom. So. so I was yeah. I was kind of interested in the the, the positive and negative elements uh, of that. I think there is there is the app store. There is there is the sort of application of that to all of the um, all of the the domains that we'd you know we'd see in in corporate and uh, and and general life more uh, more largely. I do wonder if we're going to see a corresponding you know, dark uh, dark app store type uh, type model where we're going to um, effectively industrialize that capability of threat actors. Yeah, I
2: think it's going to, I think there's a possibility of creating h- more highly customized malware in the wild because as long as you can craft a specific enough prompt, you'll be able to get a specific malware for whatever system you're looking at. So if we use Stuxnet as an example that I think most of the audience would be familiar with, that was a very highly specific piece of malware that had a list of criteria and characteristics that had to all be met before it executed because it was hunting for a very specific target. If you can craft a prompt that is that specific, you can now design a malware to attack very specific systems for your victim or your adversary, whoever that might be. The other thread I might mention as we talk about the App Store and OpenAI kind of leveraging its its platform for other users to build on top of, I think we start getting into kind of monopoly risk, which uh, I don't know if that's an official term, but we start having an entire ecosystem built on a single platform for generative artificial intelligence. And if that platform becomes degraded... Or, you know, the data is poisoned in such a way by, you know, a nefarious actor, you know, an unwitting insider, or just by accident. What does that do to the entire ecosystem, right? Are we creating a single point of failure for this this ecosystem of applications and tools and capabilities that if a threat actor were to be able to modify or manipulate that source code would have cascading effects throughout the ecosystem?
0: It, it's a really interesting point and i think we will pull on this thread in a minute um which is the sort of and we can call it a monopoly risk i like i like that term i'm thinking of a guy with a top hat in congress a few years ago but um the the question i think of the the nefarious actors grabbing a hold of this is really interesting and i i want to Put this in parallel with what you 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 said earlier, Steve, around System V applications. I think we are still very much in this era of the noise and and the, the the massive number of players that are entering this field are very focused on these these targeted applications. Um, do you feel? And this is a question open to both of you, and and hopefully that takes us towards what's been the latest in terms of some of the government responses to these issues. Do you feel like there is a need to have some deeper safeguards? And I think this is important from within even an organizational perspective, you know, organizations are going to be developing or having their own LLMs within, within the company, and they're going to be playing around with these things. Some of them very, very aptly with the right structures, the right controls, the right governance around it. Others are going to probably be a little less rigorous in their approach. So do you think there is a need both from the, I'd say, I'd call it the supplier community, i.e. the companies that are developing um, these technologies, but also from the user community, enterprise or private users, is there a need to establish some, some rules? Because we've seen the time to adoption of these technologies to be probably, I think ChatGPT GPT had the on record, the largest number of users within 24 hours that we've ever seen for any services out there. So do you guys feel like there is a need to create some, some fair rules of engagement or rules of the game around this?
2: When we talk about the, the history of different types of attacks that have come out of software and technology and, and the digital space, I think Folks are, are now quite familiar, unfortunately, with ransomware as a quintessential kind of confidentiality, or sorry, availability-based attack, right? Through encryption, you no longer have availability of your data, and that comes with some sort of extortive piece to it as well. When you look at data breaches, you have the rise of this, of this uh, confidentiality-based attack, where someone steals your data, they exfiltrate it, and then there's oftentimes an extortive piece to that as well. Both of those have raised the bar for governments to legislate and regulate and and mandate specific safeguards and controls, whether it be baseline security measures, or mandatory disclosure timelines. And what I fear is that we are going to quickly see the rise of integrity-based attacks. I mentioned this concept of data poisoning before. We talk about what is the foundation of every large language model, of every generative AI platform. It is the quality of the data on which it is trained. And if a threat actor can somehow manipulate or degrade the quality of that data to either drive the platform to a specific solution or just manipulate the output, so that they're not as accurate as they could be. That is going to be a, a, the new rise of these integrity-based attacks, which I think will also require some sort of regulatory control. And We see that direction in the United States' new national cybersecurity strategy came out earlier this year, where the onus of security is, is attempted to be transferred from the user to the developer. Of the software, where you know the the White House came out and said we really have to put more onus on the individuals who have more control over the security of the the applications that we're using. Is that where the rest of the world is going to go as it comes to generative AI? I tend to think so.
1: Yeah, I I, I think we're. I mean, I think we're grappling with some of this ourselves as well. We're working through the the impact of this. Um, And I'm thinking through conversations I I have with with our editor teams and our, our subject matter experts and analysts. One of the things that we go to Great lengths to is to is to check the provenance of the data that we're basing our, our assertions on. And we and we we do a lot of work to um, to make sure that we're you know we're confident in what what comes out. One of the challenges that I think we're we're seeing is is how do you how do you validate the output of of some of these models? How do, knowing that there is no there is no sort of there is no sort of reasoning magic box that sits behind it or person in the box that is the source of all of all intelligence and output. It's just a statistical model based on a probability of words in a stream. How do you make sure that the the fallacies that we know are in the are in the output and then the models aren't substantively impacting what we're you know what we're using that that data that data for. That I think links to what Steve was saying around around the sort of the the opaque nature of these models. One of the things that I think we're going to see a lot more of is how do we create more of an open box and provable model or observable model around how these how these um, these algorithms work, and that the more we embed those into areas of, of society that people rely on and people put trust in, then the, the level of of proof that we need or the level of confidence that we need in the accuracy the output um, increases. You know, if I'm if I'm writing a, a sort of a, a, a Jeremy's blog post, um, then I'm I'm sort of I'm affecting a relatively small proportion of the uh, of the organization uh, or of the uh, of the the of society. Um, if i'm using this to produce uh drug you know drug designs or um content that has a very significant impact on on sort of life and life and and uh, livelihood then we need a much higher level of um, level of proof that's something i think we're we're not we're not where we need to be at the moment we we've got this sort of magic eight ball type model at the moment uh, and we really need to unpick and we, we to be honest we also need more people that understand how how these things actually work and the limitations on them um there is a bit of a sort of a, a hype thing at the moment of in fact i was talking to someone last night and they were saying chat gpt is going to to fundamentally change and, and replace large areas of the therapists and it's like the idea of, a, of gpt providing therapy is terrifying
0: it, it, it was attempted they they, they- there were some significant issues. I think about eight, six months ago, with with some of the online therapy applications that exist, where where the therapist encouraged uh, somebody to essentially commit suicide um, because of hallucination. So, Jeremy, can I ask you? And, and this is this somewhat provocative, um, but you say that we are we need to have this awareness, this common awareness of of sort of the inherent limitations of the model and of the technology. I think we we've the three of us have been in technology for 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 probably cumulatively 60 or 70 years but um the we've always had this problem. You know, we've had this issue when the internet started, we had it. I remember the Arab spring and the, the sort of wonderful praises that were discussed around the, the democratization benefits of social media platforms. And, you know, we've had it with the cloud, we've had it. And, and you know, how quick, how, how long did it take us to come up with data privacy? And how long does it take us to come up with these frameworks? Who is responsible for this? And importantly, I don't want to talk necessarily about, you know, government versus sort of private sector. I think within an organization, sort of, who, t- on Upon whom is it incumbent to say, guys, pause. We we need to go back to the basics of this. We need to be able to vet. To your point, we have analysts who are, who are incredibly talented and who were trained to, to go through the credibility of their sources, the integrity of the information they receive when it's a human that communicates it. But for some reason, for some, when it's a machine, it's okay. Well, it's a machine. So... So how do we overcome this and who is responsible for that education in your view?
1: Yeah, so so I think it sits, um, which is probably why the three of us are, are are on the call. I think it sits between the CIO and the CISO. Um, so there is a there is a level of understanding and appreciation of the limitations and the and the realities of the technology and the capabilities. You know, I'm, I'm sometimes overly skeptical with all of this stuff. I talk too much about limitations, but there, there's a there's a, a, an understanding that we need of of you know, what is it we're actually dealing with here? What are we what are we talking about? That that has to live in the in the technology domain and we need a greater appreciation within within the technology domain of the limitations of those um, of those models and a, a, and I think a more a more um, informed skepticism around around what we what we use them for fundamentally the impact of some of these Things going wrong, uh, not to like scaremonger too much, but the impact of those those going wrong it it's with with you know the, the enterprise risk committee in our in our case. You know there there is potential for these things, and uh, this would you know, obviously this would not happen in uh, in our context, but there's significant reputation risk potentially with with. The, Therapists saying you should go and you, know, you should go and commit suicide. For example, if you translate that into any corporate context, that becomes a, a sort of an existential issue for the you know, for the organisation. Certainly, in our case, if if we were to have that kind of un, you know, unvalidated content going out, we we would yeah you know, we would probably shut the doors and not uh, not continue. So. So I, I do think that there's there's a security risk element, a reputation risk element, there's an information risk and leakage um, element, there's there's a talent element to this as well. There's there's a sort of a people risk element where we need people to understand and appreciate in every organisation those those realities. There there is also the sort of the hype at the moment. I saw a thing on on CNN a few uh, a few weeks ago that um, you know, basically every corporate knowledge worker is toast. You should all retrain as plumbers and and all that stuff. This is not yeah you know, this is this is not true, but but it it does cut across really every level of of those um, you know of those uh, those areas of an organisation, and and that's why you know uh, in our case we, we sort of brief against this in at, at our executive committee we we work across which cuts across our you know our commercial operations, our risk operations, our uh, our finance and and technology. It's it's not. I think the thing I'd, I'd sort of really want to highlight is this is not a, a back office tech geek problem. This is this is something that cuts across the corporate landscape writ large.
0: It's absolutely existential. Steve, are you seeing the same thing from our client's perspective? Is that the level of conversations that are happening? We are.
2: And and I think the, the only other aspect of the business I would bring into it is legal. And we've started talking about regulations a little bit. Um, but there are some, some nuances as well that have, have come up in niche cases where contract law, you know, con- confidentiality clauses in contract law have come up because when you read terms and conditions in a contract, there are information security clauses that state, you know, we shall not share client information with third parties without prior written consent from the, the data owner. Well, when you type something into chat GPT, you're providing it to open AI, which is a third party. And so that is, can be a breach of the contract. So when you, when we talk to clients, it is a recognition that to Jeremy's point, while technology and, and, and cybersecurity and information technology should be taking the lead as this is a foundationally technological problem, you have to bring that enterprise approach. You have to bring the business together. Same thing when ransomware became so large, you know, it was, like, oh, the, the CISO has it. We're, we're protected. The CISO's got it taken care of. It was like no it takes a team approach it's it's the entire company right cyber risk is business risk and when we when we talk through generative artificial intelligence and the concerns that our clients are coming to us with you quickly recognize that whether it's being used across the business like as, as input or output is being employed across the business it can be marketing it can be client deliverables it can be work product whatever that is it's going to impact a large portion of the business and everyone has has a voice and should be at the table when we're talking about the implications of the risk of its use.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the you know the case on the legal side. There was a, a recent, I'm sure you've all heard of this, but a recent case of a, a lawyer in the U S. using ChatGPT to create an argument and ultimately chat gpt hallucinating uh previous cases that didn't exist i i also think again we need to make that distinction between what is generative ai and particularly chat generative ai like chat gpt or bard or others which are very focused use cases and i think at the moment obviously Front and center of everyone's mind because they're probably the easiest to see immediate actionability and understanding of, but there is a plethora of other developments that are going on, and I think you guys both mentioned this: the criticality of integrity. Um, integrity of the models is going to be based both on their own accuracies, but also their the controls around the inputs and 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 sort of the actual code that sits behind the model. What is your current view in terms of the security considerations? I mean, when you have played Jeremy, for instance, with with some of these LLMs, did you were you were you pleasantly surprised about? Okay, this is pretty robust. It feels like it would take quite a bit to to go in and modify the actual structural integrity of the the model, or is it the other way around and it's slightly concerning?
1: I I am more so I I, I trust things I can. Prod and i can get into um and and i can you know I, and i tend not to trust in every, every in every walk of life things that you know things that um, that i can't i can't get into i am fundamentally an engineer and a hacker and, a and a, all this stuff and this is why i drive a 20 year old car where i can change the spark plugs and not have to just plug in a computer um so i i think that that thing around observability and openness is 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 fundamental there's Examples in in every every domain, not not um, generative AI, of of large corporates that have that have gone wrong uh, and made mistakes, and and mistakes happen. That's that's a kind of reality of reality of life. I so I think that that openness and and inspectability of um, of models and transparency is really is really important. The I think I'm I'm actually more worried about the. Unthinking misuse of models than I am the deliberate poisoning of them on on mass, um, and and I'm I'm thinking of you know one of the things I I will write a, a sort of internal post about is there are some phrases I'd like to ban from from our corporate lexicon and one of them is GPT knows so GPT doesn't know it, it predicts it's it's a statistical model it whatever but it doesn't know um, and and there, there's there is that sort of General awareness that we need to in- increase around you know, the, 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 that phrase GPT knows XYZ.
0: So this one's a really good example because we've personalized or personified these models. Like Chat GPT is a thing, Bard is a thing. We've given them names to feel like oh, you're interacting with with something that has its own, not just data set but actual intelligence and knowledge i think that's that's a really good point to strike sorry i'm i'm, I'm jumping in but I, but i thought that was a very interesting gpt knows bard knows no they don't it's predictive
2: yeah i think it comes back to like the education and training of the workforce to understand what you know these generative ai platforms are and what they aren't and i think as you get more into the technology you start to recognize the limitations you know, a, a lot more clearly and not to get, you know, incredibly techie in the weeds, but you talk about tokenization. You talk about, you know, the layering of, of large language model learning and transformer technology. And you start to recognize that this is just code, right? And, and it's, it's making inferences based off the data it's ingested. But you have to recognize that the data it's ingesting is human data, right? And, you know, the, the cliche is, Oh, we're just, we're only human. Right. Well, technically, ev- all the data that you know, these generative AI platforms are being trained on are only human. And so, as is the code behind them. And so when you, you train individuals in your company, you, you train them to understand what are some of these common mistakes. We talk hallucination, right? It's, it's the accuracy of the output that's being, you know, spit out by some of these platforms because of, you know, uh, inferences that are being made between specific pieces of words that it collected from its millions and millions of sources. It's also bias and discrimination, right? So when we talk about how some of these, the outputs of these platforms have been, been troublesome and concerning, bias and discrimination is, is huge. And a lot of that stems from the fact that, again, humans are, you know, implicitly and explicitly to various extents biased. And so the information that these platforms are being trained on are biased
0: it was the twitter ball i mean this dates back a little bit but the first sort of generative chat um ai that was released on twitter became incredibly racist within minutes of having access to a twitter data set uh, jeremy i'm conscious we, we i i rudely cut you off in in your line of thinking that that you were pursuing so please do do continue
1: no, no, sorry, and and I, I was I was I was just thinking about that that. But I mean, we've talked before about bias and and uh, and the impact of of bias on these um, on these kind of kind of models. It is it is I think back to that that point of of understanding what yeah you know, how these how these things work. There is a you know, to, to Steve's point. It is just a machine. It is it is based on inputs and outputs. You know, if you want to go into the maths, there's you know there's five hundred and forty billion inputs and and a much smaller number of outputs. But fundamentally it's a you know it's it's, it's that kind of um, uh, math-based math-based model. So it's not one of the things I'd, I'd sort of like to, to, and I'm slightly channeling my daughters at this point, but um, one of the things I'd like to sort of make a distinction between is creative and generative. We are, it is generating content. It is not creative um, in that, um, in that sense. And, and it's really hard to draw that. So that's a very blurred distinction. And in some domains, it's, it's a very, it's a very, um, uh, yeah, sort of less applicable one, but we are fundamentally generating content based on the inputs that we you know, that we that we give it. We are not creating new knowledge. We're not creating new information, um, and that's that's a that's a like an older computer scientist listening to this will now be up in arms saying we are definitely creating new information <laughs> because that's what. but, but it, it's it's it is a it is a concern I have around around that that training and data set piece. There is there is a bit of a sort of snake eating itself problem. One of one of the challenges with these models is is there enough data. To, to train it on them with there's a number of researchers kind of looking at well we've kind of we've re- reached the peak in terms of capability of text that we can you know that we can pull into these these models uh, and then there's there's different approaches to solving that and one of the things they're looking at as well you could we can create new text that's what that's what generative ai does so let's just tell it to create more training data and then we'll use that in the training and then we'll, and i that's that's a that's a I, a concern for me
0: the first issues that creeped up i think there were studies around the way dolly generated images and then used the images they generated to generate new images and to your point steve it, it generated so i think it was asked to to to, to create an image of a woman using something like, a, like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but no specifications in terms of height, hair color, uh, race, any of this by the sort of third and fourth iteration, the women were all white and blonde haired, and there was no diversity in the actual data set because of the growing bias. And you sort of exponentially increased the bias to this. We're being very no, pessimistic uh, but we're not being very jolly this morning, um, which, you know, we t- we like to be jolly early in the morning. Um, are we talking all of the limitations that we're flagging here, the risks that we're flagging here, are they temporary or are they fundamental? Taking, for instance, the issue of limited textual data, and we can create more textual data, but there are other, you know, Hundreds of thousands of other data sources. We we will see video ingestion. We will see sound ingestion. We will see potentially sort of radio wave ingestions and and sort of you know more physical data uh, being ingested. Is this a temporary problem or? has the field moved in such a rapid commodification process and we need to productize, we need to make money on this. We need to have immediate results that we're inevitably limiting the capabilities of the almost the mathematical principles of AI.
1: Yeah. I'm I, i I'm, I'm even at my most skeptical, even my most cynical, I'm not going to like stand here and declare peak oil. We have achieved peak AI. It's all downhill from here. Um, no, not, not at all. The, um, I think there's there's the, the, some of the constraints that we're that we're seeing are actually just a, a natural byproduct of charging ahead very quickly with a capability and and now working out what does that mean how do you yeah, know I'm talking about the the, in the constraints from a societal point of view from a, from a legal and and corporate point of view all sorts of all sorts of areas not just the sort of the, the do we have enough data to train it or do we can we address these these sort of technical issues so so I think it's the, these things always always kind of go in in uh, in steps across the uh, yeah. You, you progress, and then things catch up. You progress, and things catch up. Um, and those 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 areas, I think we're we're already seeing you know, work on the regulation space around how do we increase the the the, uh, the inspectability and the the trustability in these um, in these kind of models. The technology issues they 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 are being addressed. You know, it may be that LLMs will will have a you know will have a number of iterations of LLMs, and then something else will come along, and it will be a slightly you know slightly changed model, and we'll 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 address it in different um, in different ways i think the, the the fundamentals are 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 sound and, and proceeding at a great you know great pace um i don't think we're i don't think we're talking about sort of fundamental uh, issues with with the technology around around this thing i think the biggest change is, is Society and corporate, you know, corporate has to has to now catch up. Um, has to has to work out what we actually have. Not not worry too much about you know, are we going to be able to turn this into into Skynet or uh, or whatever else. But what are we what are we looking at today, and what are the implications of that?
2: And I think we're also seeing tension between the commercialization demand, right? So companies are looking for wholly autonomous solutions for many of their tasks, right? Whether it's that point solution, that application solution, they're looking for almost humans off the loop capabilities where, you know, they can gain efficiencies, you know, and, and, and make more profit because of it. But where I fear we are not necessarily keeping pace. With the technological evolution is in the conceptual employment, and so I'll go back to that book I mentioned before, "It's Power and Prediction," where it talks about reading radiology scans, right? X-rays, CAT scans. You know, there was there was a study that was done to see if if artificial intelligence could be better than school trained radiologists in reading some of these diagnostic images, and what they found was not that AI was better than doctors, or even that doctors were better than AI. What they found was this harmonious integration between the two where ai could effectively triage the scans for which ones would require a human eye to to figure out which side of the fence the diagnosis should be on right and so what you've what you've gained is efficiency on the human side where those radiologists are now spending their time on the difficult readings the difficult diagnoses and the ones that are easily on one side or the other of the spectrum Artificial intelligence can say yes. This is very easily negative. This is very easily positive, and only feeds the humans the ones that really require that that second set of human eyes on it. And so, while I absolutely agree with with Jeremy that tech te- the technology side is prime to keep going, and we're seeing iterative iterative processes to get better every single day and week. What we're not Necessarily seeing is the thinking on the conceptual employment side of maybe holistic comprehensive automation is not always the best solution that companies should be looking for to gain efficiencies and optimize profit.
0: It's an interesting, an interesting. Case an example that you've mentioned here, and and I want to refer back to what Jeremy was mentioning at the onset. Even internally for us, uh, you know, there was a sense of, "Oh, are we going to replace every uh, intelligence analyst in the world, every copy editors in the world, every every content generator uh, in the world?" This is where I think. Personally, I I, I agree with both of your points. I think the, the technology, and I have one caveat, which is around the infrastructure needed for the technology to truly continue the pace of acceleration is going to be a challenge. I think it will be beneficial to some parts of the world and much more challenging for others. And especially as these LLMs move into a kind of LLM as a service on the cloud, that does presuppose a significant amount of computing infrastructure, um, a significant amount of resources. But this is the topic for a future podcast. What I do want to raise here is this: the criticality within society, but I think within enterprises, to realign the expectations and the perceptions around artificial intelligence, where we see that inherent reluctance and i'm sure this was the case in previous technological innovations where we've seen this is going to replace people or it's going to make i mean when the tv first launched and people were terrified they were going to become zombies and then brain deads but i think it's it's incredibly important in the world that we're in today for any company that is looking to benefits from the At development of this technology to have a really robust people-focused communication strategy. And to your point, Jeremy, that needs to be, let us talk directly about what the technology is and isn't. And if you have that level playing field in the organization, you can then build constructively and say, this is... We're not just telling you it's not going to take your job because we're telling you it's not going to take your job. You can see why there will be these inherent limitations. Guys, we've been talking for a long time, and I do want to touch on one more thing. So we've seen seven months. I mean, to your point, Jeremy, this has been going on for decades. By by definition, AI was, was a 50s kind of innovation and invention, but we have seen an acceleration. It's undeniable that the, the the vastness of the applications, the investments that are going into this, the threats that are starting to manifest, either employing the technology or exploiting it. Where is this going? What is your sort of what is your sort of Nostradamus crystal ball prediction over the next six to twelve months? Are we expecting things to plateau a little bit as governments and everybody else reacts? Or, or are we potentially on the cusp of seeing? Okay, well, this is going to be let loose, and and you know it's out of the Pandora's box, and we're just going to kind of hope everything goes okay. Um, and obviously, we're not going to hold you to account. This is kind of recorded, but you can you can get it wrong. We won't we won't we won't be too upset.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, so I. Where is it going? That's that's a really difficult one. I think there are some things that are going to have to change. There are some things that are whether the current situation we're in is just not is just not tenable. Um, so the further we integrate these technologies into people's day to day lives or corporate organisations and the way the way businesses work, uh, our, our trust and regulation of, of them has to um, has to improve. That there are some uh, legal legal questions. Back to your your uh, your sort of LRC reference that are not yet resolved and will will naturally be resolved as as things work through the through the process around uh, who's who's accountable for the output of these these models. How do we? There's a technology end to that of how do we how do we prove it. But but there is a there is a legal end of of where does where does liability lie with um, with some of these um, some of these these things. I I think we're I'm I'm really nervous saying this, but I think we're probably actually going to see a slight slowdown in the rate of change of the underlying technology. I think we've we've had a significant jump um, in in the sort of foundational capabilities uh, over the last two two years, and what we're now starting to see is is the the dramatic visible effect of those changes on a number of different different domains so the announcements by microsoft around around um, fabric and copilot and and basically embedding ai into into um Everything that they they, they do really. Um, in fact, I was I was talking to um, uh, ex ex uh, colleague of mine who's who's um, a uh, chief scientist at uh, in UK government, um, and he was saying he, he predicts no one's going to be talking about AI in, in a number of years time because it will just be the way we do things. It's like it's just it's just ubiquitous.
0: Opera is uh, launching the what what it claims to be the first native AI browser. Which is an interesting distinction. We're going to now have native and non-native AI capabilities. But to your point, it's, it's going to be ubiquitous.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, and I think it's it's we're we're going to see that embedded into into day to day products. At the moment, they're still the, you know ChatGPT is still largely a thing that lives in its on its on its own. We're going to start to see that integrated into things like Fabric and Copilot and um, Tableau demonstrated something around around creating your know, prompt engineering dashboards. Your know, my, my data engineering team is starting to look at at um, you know language to SQL type you know type construction and and what does that you know, what does that um, Mean for for what we can do with with data. So so I think there's, you know we're going to start to see more and more of those kind of domain applications of that of that data. Regulation and control is going to have to is going to have to come, um, because we're going to have to have a greater level of confidence and certainty from a corporate perspective of of what we're, you know, what we're dealing with. Where where does where does liability lie? Where are the issues? Where where are the what's the what's the game we're, we're playing here? I guess my concern. From that point of view, is is we are regulating the good guys, um, and I, I know there are you know, there there is there is a reality of 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 yeah you know, we we need that sort of safe operating environment so that everyone knows what they're working with. But the threats we're dealing with are not going to be dealt with by regulation in the same way that large chunks of gun crime are not controlled by yeah you know, by the uh, uh, the application of gun laws. So. Um, there's, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. I think we're going to see more of a society impact or society change in response than we are fundamental technology there.
0: It's an interesting, and I, I want to get to you, Steve, um, on, on all of this, but it's an interesting point that you've made around the regulatory aspect. And I think the, the, the sort of, we cannot expect the regulations to actually fundamentally, I mean, you know, um, we've seen the impact of sanctions we've seen the impact of it does it does it help move the needle in a particular direction yes does it change things overnight absolutely not and i think part of the challenge that a lot of, lot of companies and a lot of governments are going through is, well, what is our actual agency in dealing with what is, with what is fundamentally, you know, we've talked about an ecosystem change. I mean, it's a paradigm change. There was, there was a, a report the other day about AI being or generative AI being the next iteration of UI paradigm change for, for UX developers and, and, you know, the ability to sort of say, Hey, can you help me design a UI and, and can I get like instantaneously 15 or 20 mock-ups of a potential UI um, uh, uh, draft? Steve, what's your line of thinking right now? Where are we going?
2: I agree with, with Jeremy. I think we're going to see a slowdown, but continued progress. Uh, and sustained with kind of crests and dips along the way. As we see, we talked about that open AI application store. As you get more creatives involved in you know, maximizing and finding, finding new utility for large language models and, and these chat generative AI platforms, I think we're going to see these spikes of of utilization of new capabilities that no one had thought of before followed by dips as we figure out what are all the shortfalls right and we we work out those bugs in both the you know the pre-training aspect to the post-training aspect so i think we're going to see localized highs and lows but but overall progress what i also think we're going to have to to Witness for for clients and customers and companies is an evolution of our of our thoughts on risk, right? And, and Nick, you and I have, have talked in many a forum about kind of the impact over the past four years of digital transformation for companies, you know, compelled to onboard new technical partners, whether that be software, applications, data solutions, and you know, it had the unfortunate second order effect of expanding the threat landscape for these these companies that have now kind of allowed access to their critical data, critical assets to these partners. I think we're going to start to see the rise of things like AI due diligence work, right? So when you go in to partner with a third party or a vendor, we have—I won't call it robust. I wish I could, but uh, you know—an ecosystem of cyber due diligence, right? Um, that I, I wish there was more of, and I think we're going to start to see AI due diligence of you know when you go to do business with a company. Are they leveraging artificial intelligence in an ethical and an accurate and and a valuable way that is not going to onboard undue risk to your organization?
0: I would even say, Stephen, and this goes back to that point about education, we have already had a few, and this dates back, this was three or four years ago, but we had some, some investor clients that came to us and said, can you help us verify the claims that these companies are making? Because... Where, where, and this, this goes back to the, the skill set issue, the expertise issue. If you think about the context of a due diligence, for instance, yes, absolutely. Is, is the implementation or the usage of the technology something that's ethical and, 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 and actually, uh, respect to the legislation in place? The other question is, does it actually work? Is, is what you're selling me working? And we have certainly seen this in the tech space for, so very long, these startups are coming out with these deep claims, and it's getting harder and harder to debunk. So there is that notion of transforming the way we think about technology within the organization. It's no longer just as easy to say, oh, can I run an RFP with three vendors? And "And can I sh- show me your KPIs? And we're going to need to actually get into the machine.
2: Yeah, and I think I've said it before, I I think we're going to see the death of self attestation as it comes to third party risk management. It's like, do you use AI responsibly? Check yes or no, I don't think is is going to be sufficient in, in the next five to 10 years. So what does that ecosystem look like? What are the frameworks? You know, there are a number that exist right now, I would argue some are leading the pack. But what are the frameworks, the benchmarks, the metrics by which we are scoring and grading organizations in their responsible, ethical, valuable, accurate employment of these technologies and platforms. I think that is a, a huge area for, for academics to dive into, for practitioners to dive into to figure out what does right look like. And that's obviously going to be iterative just as the technology is. But staying dynamic and staying agile in that risk management space as it comes to digital risks, as it comes to technology, I think it is going to be a separator in the business space where there are going to be companies who embrace this new approach to digital risk and there are going to be those that don't and obviously some companies don't need to based off what they do and where they do it but for those that need technology that rely on the digital ecosystem to survive and thrive they're going to have to adapt a little bit more quickly than they may have in the past decade
0: i'm not going to ask you guys this question but i want you to think about this for the next time we meet We've talked on on this podcast primarily around the sort of data layer and not necessarily on the system layer. We have in parallel the innovations in automation and connectivity of operational technology systems. I think whilst I I agree with you guys that we're probably going to see a slowdown, there is that entire other part of the current modern technology infrastructure that is starting to see some of the benefits come through and i don't know if you guys had had looked at i think it's called auto gpt that's that's coming out now that has sort of a um capability to action some of the prompts or or essentially pursue the conversations with with chat gpt in order to get to a resolution of the initial prompt Um, it's going to be a fascinating time and a very risky time as well when we're starting to see this creep up into the operational technology space We don't have time for this. That would be another hour, two, three hours. I want to say a huge thanks to both of you, Steve and Jeremy. Uh, This has been a thrilling discussion. We will be picking up on some of these themes in the white paper that will be released soon. We will certainly continue the conversation um, together on this podcast. But more broadly, if anybody has any questions, you can find our bios and you can find our current thinking on www.controlrisks.com. Guys, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Nick.
1: Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Steve.
0: We have a whole host of episodes coming soon to Decrypt, covering the most crucial topics, breaking news and strategic horizon scanning within the world of cyber that you need to be aware of. With analysis and discussion from our experts located around the world, subscribe to Control Risks Decrypt as we help you make sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting your business. For more information on how we can help you build a resilient, compliant, and secure organization realizing the benefits of technology, visit us at www.controlrisks.com. And remember, our experts are only ever one email away, email us at cyber at com.